Guy, if you were famous, what do you want to be famous for? I would like to be famous for being kind. For being kind. That's so... Mm. I want to give you a hug. All right, let me give you another one. (laughs) If we could go anywhere you wanted on vacation, specifically we, that's me and you, where would you choose and why? Well, man, I got to tell you, this one hits close to home because you so generously invited me to go whitewater rafting with you, in which you are going, I believe. And man, I feel like I'm missing out. So that's what I would like to do is go whitewater rafting with you. Thanks again for the invite. That would be cool. That would be great. Okay. These questions are brought to you by something I found uh, unintentionally on Amazon. This is Talking Point Cards, the family edition. And it's very simple. They have these written out questions. And I thought this was going to be one of those corny things that I did with my kids that they would eye roll, but they're begging for these at the dinner table. And we're no longer talking about what the most ridiculous meme was that you saw on the internet today or sounding like Beavis and Butthead having a fart contest at the table. We're talking about important things. So endorsement from me, check out Talking Point Cards. You can get them on Amazon. It's, uh, it's like 20 bucks, but very much worth it, especially if you have kids. Love it. Take my money. Get those cards. Conrad, I have a question for you. Close your eyes and imagine that you were going to record a legal marketing podcast today. What would you be talking about? Wow. I've got a bunch of questions, Guy. So after we hit the news, we're going to go two different segments on questions. We're going to do facts and racks. Segment one, we're going to ask and answer the frequently asked questions that Guy and I get all the time. And section number two, a little bit more insightful, we're going to ask the questions that we never get asked but should be asked. When we come back, the news. Music! Welcome to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing, teaching you how to promote, market, and make fat stacks for your legal practice, here on Legal Talk Network. All right, Guy, in the news. It's almost like the people at Mountain View have been listening to our show and are very concerned about the volume of fake reviews. Google recently sued a company for leaving lots of fake reviews and fake GMB profiles. This was not in the legal industry, but it was a step by Google to kind of crack down on the reviews. Do you see this going bigger? Like, why did they pick out one company? This seems like a very strange approach and expensive approach for Google to take in terms of combating fake reviews. What do you think? Well, I love the concept. I love the idea (laughs) of let's do a shock and awe campaign. We talked about this before. Part of the solution here is scaring people out of doing this stuff. And getting sued by Google can be scary. But, and I don't know all the details, maybe you can fill in some of the details. When I parsed some of this story, I was like, who did they sue? Yeah. I mean, I could name probably a dozen or two dozen really bad fake review companies that are like just pouring out reviews. Now, again, I'm, I'm very focused on legal, so I don't know, maybe the scale of this is different somewhere else. But like, it seems like they kind of picked on somebody out of nowhere, but like, Am I holding my breath to see if this totally shakes up the review game? No, I am not. 
Okay. But I, you know, and I'm very reluctant to cheer for Google on anything. On this one, I'm cheering for them. To be honest with you, I didn't even read the basis of the lawsuits. I don't know any of the details of the claim. But if it does something to slow down the onslaught of fake reviews, I'm all for it. But yet you are very cynical that that's going to have the yeah, and you know you every described. litigation. It's this ha- you know here's a here's a short answer. Let's say they win, maybe it scares okay. a couple of companies. You know what else happens? The same company starts right back up under a different name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's more like you know, they're going to be like we're bankrupt, we're bankrupt. We can't pay the judgment, whatever it is. You know, they, maybe they're trying to get an injunction or something, but. You know, I don't know if these people are on U.S. soil, but like, depending on what country they're in, you know, I don't know. I'm cynical it's going to have that much of an impact. But I like the effort. I do like the effort. Now, here's my thing, though. Hey, Google, there are plenty of smart people in review world who have tons of great suggestions for actually combating fake reviews without taking people to court. So why don't you pay them instead of your lawyers to sue people? Interesting idea. Like your employees, for example. All right. The next piece of the news, we occasionally cover venture capital because it's an indicator of what's hot. And even up raises $50.5 million in their Series B. Even up is AI and PI. So there is a PI legal assistant built on AI brought to you by Even Up. The interesting thing for me, this is Series B, they are at a $325 million valuation. Someone is seeing lots of promise in this. So we'll see what happens. But congrats to your friends at EvenUp. If you would like to sponsor a podcast, boy, oh boy, do I have someone for you to talk to. What is, do you know what it does? Do you know what EvenUp does? Uh, yeah. Do you want me to read this? I'll, I'll read the, sure. the very quick piece of this. Our AI demands product analyzes medical records and generates demand letters. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. So EvenUp... <laughs> You no longer want to sponsor this podcast. That's just fine. Move along. <laughs> Next news item. Next news item. So Universal Analytics, we have been we have brought this to you maybe 10 times. We're bringing it to you the 11th time. Guy, what is the sunset date for Universal Analytics? July 1st. July 1st. So by the time you're listening to this, it's too late. You are either on top of it or your agency sucks. We warned you. Yeah. If you're wondering what we're talking about right now, you have a problem. If you're wondering what we're talking about right now, you've never listened to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. So welcome, and please subscribe. <laughs> please please <laughs> leave us a review after we've consulted you. Most importantly, go research this issue because your website analytics data is about to stop working. And you're going to stop tracking everything that's going on on your website. Surprise! Surprise, please leave us a review at your favorite review place. All right, when we come back, we are going to open up with some facts. Learn by doing with Practicing Law Institute's award-winning on-demand interactive programs. Developed by experts in learning design, these immersive programs incorporate the latest in research-based instructional design and technology, allowing you to try out concepts, challenge yourself, and grow your skills using real-world scenarios. With programs focusing on professional development, client-facing skills, and law practice management, you can earn CLE while you learn. Launch now at pli.edu interactive or download PLI's mobile app. 
Smart firms use CallRail to track where every lead comes from. PPC, LSA, organic search, or even offline ads. CallRail tells you which channels drive your best leads. CallRail even integrates with your favorite CRM or practice management tools to help manage your leads and see the ROI on your marketing investments. Know exactly which marketing tools work. Plans start at 45 bucks a month. We recommend CallRail to every single one of our clients. Go to callrail.com slash lunch hour now and try it for free. All right, Guy, it's time for some fuck yous. Fuck yous? Yeah, fuck you, Guy. <laughs> Watch your mouth, Conrad. This is not a family podcast. The only people who are family who listen to this podcast are my kids. I force them to listen to it in the car, and they always ask to change to the radio. What is a FAQ? We're talking about frequently asked questions. Oh, a FAQUE. A FAQUE. That is the French frequently asked questions. Why don't you just say FAQUE? FAQ sounds just more like we're going to get the explicit. We haven't got the explicit tag yet. We'll see if we can push it with an acronym that doesn't sound very nice. Okay, moving on from what sounds like my previous dinner table conversations on occasion, we're going to ask some of the most frequently asked questions that Guy and I get from prospects and lawyers alike. Starting with Guy, what do you hear the most, and is it a good question? I don't know if it's the most, but I hear it all the time, and it's a terrible question. How do I how do I rank number one for every keyword? Everybody's favorite question, you know, we're SEO people. They want to know how to rank for all these keywords. And, you know, I show you all sorts of keywords you can rank for. You're probably ranking for keywords you don't even realize. Do you tell them to stand in their lobby? Yeah, stand in your lobby. Search for your personal brand. injury lawyer. <laughs> yeah, search for your brand. Then search for personal injury lawyer. Then go click on your listing and then search again. Winner, winner. Man, you're so good at this stuff. That's all you have to do, Guy, to be successful in SEO, to dominate yeah. the local SEO market? Well, the other one I always think about is one time I probably told this story on the show before, but this firm posted stuff about the Detroit Lions and they got crazy traffic for Detroit oh, Lions yeah. stuff. Totally irrelevant. They ranked number one. They were in search console impressions and clicks, average position one for Detroit Lions. Unfortunately, they don't sell Detroit Lions gear. So ranking number one didn't do any yeah, or tickets or what else could you sell if you want to rank for Detroit Lions? Tears. What are you talking about, man? They're going to win the NFC North this year. Uh-oh. I'm starting to drink the Kool-Aid. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you say this. We, we, I literally just posted a um, blog post on this where we have this very simplistic perspective, or I think a lot of people have this very simplistic perspective that more traffic means more contact. And one of the things, this is a really, really specific client of ours. They have a ton of traffic. They've never converted very well. Their entire strategy is very high up in the funnel recent Google algorithm update has actually improved their traffic. And we've really worked on growing their traffic. We've actually seen not just their conversion rate drop, which means they're actually dropping their absolute value of conversion. So they're getting less conversions with more traffic because they're getting more traffic about stuff that is not relevant to actually hiring a lawyer. So it's been interesting. Don't assume that your traffic is going to turn into calls. Yeah. And, you know, this is another point, And we'll talk about this for some other questions. But like, this is why traffic is not a good question to be asking about at all huh. or reporting on and all that kind of stuff either. Like, who cares? Oh, yeah, you got 10 million visits from 
some former Soviet country and you practice divorce law in South Carolina. Nice job. Good job. Doesn't matter. Pat each other on the backs. All right. What's your favorite or one of your top fuck ways? I mean, this happens quite a lot. And it's really around content strategy. How much content should we be posting? And on the vendor side, like how many blog posts a week do I get? I still get that question on the regular. We got we got a we had a client fire us because they didn't think they were getting enough blog posts a week. We were like, you know, trying to do the things that we do. Cost per acquisition, quality. No. <laughs> we should have. Uh, you know, qualified consultations, uh, target cost per acquisition. They're like, we don't care if this feels like we want more. Not getting us enough stuff. We need more. And and you know, this is the thing we talk about this all the time. But like, the deliverables are tangible, right? Posts are tangible. People like posts. People love posts. Content's tangible. So again, we get that question a lot too. And terrible metric. I mean, you know, you we can sell you. How many blog posts you want? Give you an infinite number. Chat GPT, right? Thank you, AI. Yeah, I mean, so so the flip side is my take on content strategy is most of you still are living in this fallacy of the long tail. It's not that it's not a thing, but most of you believe that you just need to throw more crap on the web and that will make you money, and it doesn't. Careful there, because I was going to say, you can actually rank do really well in the long tail, but it's not a matter of more posts. Yeah, uh, okay. 100%, right? Okay. And so, but th- there is this thought that we just need to vomit more stuff out there. Right. Most of you, most of you have never gone back and looked at how your content is performing. I think we've talked about this in the past. There's probably some old pods that we can link to, but most of you are not going back to see which of your content is actually driving traffic or driving consults or at least phone calls, right? Most of you aren't doing that. Most of you aren't going back and looking at why do you still have the 1997 post about I won the Super Lawyers Award for someone who no longer works at the firm? Right, Most of you don't do that. So there's no legacy content analysis. There's no current new content analysis. And you just start vomiting content out onto the web and no one cares. Guy, actually, this is a question on this, on this specifically. Do you have a page count kind of uh, guideline where you're like, ah, they look like someone who might have too much content? Not really, because it's more about like what's on the pages. So okay. if you look at page count and a function of average length of page, I think you see more stuff mm. because, you know, there, there are big sites that have lots of pages Sure, that might be, you know, it's not, I don't know what the raw page count number is, but, but, and you've talked about this before, so I'm stealing from you, but I think a lot of SEOs do this. You know, you <laughs> want to look at things. I appreciate That's You should flattering. look at you should look at page number in the context of number of pages indexed and number of pages generating traffic, right? So oh, if you've got baby. a lot of if you have a lot of pages that no one's visiting, or you get a lot of pages that, you know, are getting maybe they're even getting crawled, but Google's like, we're not even indexing this crap. Yes. That's when you have a problem. This was an early, early thing I learned as an SEO is to look at these ratios. You have your page count, your crawl count, right, which aren't always the same thing. And then you have your index count, which 
rarely are the same thing. And then you have those pages that are actually generating traffic, and then those pages that are actually converting, right? Right. And then one, that's the next and, one. That's, what I was that's say, beautiful. Conversion. And then on top yeah. of converting, and converting in the GA sense is form, fill, phone call, text, or chat, right? It's just an inquiry. It could be garbage. And then ideally, you have on top of that, do they have a consultation, right? That is a beautiful, beautiful way to look at your overall content strategy. And... My gut is most of you don't. My answer to that is when I see sites that click over the seven or 800 page count level, almost always you have a bunch of crap on your site that no one cares about and that has not been seen for a long time. It's not always the case, but almost always it is the case. And the only way to have a really big page count site that is going to get crawled, indexed, and served is to have a really strong backlink profile. No one really thinks about the correlation between those two things, but you will not have a large index count with a weak backlink profile. You just can't. No matter how much you throw up on the web, it doesn't matter. Next question. I throw it to you, Mr. Tsakalakis. This has been, it's been floating. I mean, it's, been, it's a classic SEO question, but I've seen it rearing its head around my feeds, at least, recently. How long is this going to take? Ha! Okay. <laughs> how long is what going to take? First of all, <laughs> how long, you know, the classic SEO is, you know, how long is it? Usually it's like, how long is it going to take for me to rank for something going back to question one? But let's let's be generous to the questioner and say, how long is it going to take to actually get a return on investment? Or how long is it going to take to, you know, maybe start seeing lead flow? I don't know. Qualified consultation flow, stuff like that. What's the answer to that question, by the way, Conrad? Can I say it depends without getting the yes. like buzz caller? That's the correct answer. That's the yeah. correct. Thank you. This is why we do the show together. We didn't even prepare that, but that's the right answer. And I'll tell you why. I'll give you the, there's an easy example of why. Scenario one, you have a no index on your site. You're not in the index. We flip a switch. You're going to start getting traffic. I don't know if you're going to get return on investment tomorrow, but once Google recrawls indexes and assuming your site has anything quality on it, you're going to start generating traffic. That's overnight. It's very rare that that happens. And that seems like a crazy extreme example, but yeah. this also happened. I, I'm yeah. sure you did this for people with lack of category in GMB, right? Yeah. Or GBP now, right? So, right. oh, you don't have a category in Google Business Profile? Let's do that during this consult, and I'll show you how to do it during this consult. And like tomorrow, it's like, oh my gosh, I exist. Yeah. Right? So these quick fixes are out there. You and I talked about this a few pods ago. There are quick fixes where you can have that really big return on investment. It's usually because someone effed something up somewhere. Exactly. So, you know, your meta information's all wrong. Your pages are optimized for home. You've got all sorts of crazy parameters in your URL structure. You know, all sorts of technical things can show a lot of results fast. Yep. On the other hand, you're brand new. Brand new website, you've never been online before, you just graduated law school, you just started your own firm. Yeah. For non-brand competitive practice areas and competitive cities, SEO is going to be a long-term play to get to return on investment or a number of consultations that can support your business. And so again, you go back to media mix and you know channel diversification and all that kind of stuff. But there is no and you know, these people you see these ads, right? Well, SEO shouldn't take long. Oh, Look Jesus. at us. Here's here's a chart of zero to 10,000 visitors overnight. Four easy steps to dominate your SEO market. Yeah. So that's all for, you can just for, ignore all that stuff. It's going to depend. And, and someone, so I'll tell you, the, 
if you talk to somebody who actually knows what they're doing, they're going to say it's going to depend. And then they might say, I'll give you a better answer after we do some research, right? Because if they if they crawl your site, they look at your competitive landscape, they look at some of the technical issues going on, on your site, they might be able to give you a better assessment. And a lot of people, you know, again, because we know that the market wants an answer to this. So, you know, we'll say things like, based on executing certain plans, call it six to eight months, 10 to 12 months, depending on a variety of factors. But, you know, even those, even that is still somewhat arbitrary. And we're guilty of it too. You know, we try, but people want an answer. When is this going to happen? It's like, well, I don't want to miss set your expectations about this. But, and that's another thing, another good question is how frequently we're going to check in on the performance of this thing, which again, we'll get talked to about when we get to our next section, I think. I have a kind of rejoinder to the, how long is this going to ah, take? Ah, rejoinder. And I do think this is a better way to frame that question in the mind of a law firm. And the question is, how long are you in it for? Right? right? Ask yourself that question. If you need business wins, if you need clients in the short term and you're really only looking in the short term, this is not the right channel to be thinking about. If you're in this for growth over the long term, it's a great channel, right? But that's the real answer. Like if you're really only looking 12 months out, and I don't even mean that in a, in a negative way. Some of you are like, yeah, I need to... Oh, we need more cases right now. We just hired a lawyer. Like there, there are definitely reasons, or, or like we have cash flow issues, right? There are definitely reasons why you should only be looking twelve months out. But if you are not looking twelve months out, if you're in it for the long term, if you're in it for growth for the long term, but if if you really need that proof of concept in the next six to twelve months, like maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. But it's the wrong channel to be playing in if you need the quick win. And that's I will say this. I'm gonna give you one. I don't know if this is a rejoinder or not, but. One other, because uh, I can hear people now being like, well, what about, and yes, if you can identify a very specific niche that's not competitive, start a brand new site, you're publishing there, but you're talking about, you know, that's like the 5%. It's not, I mean, a really competitive niche that hasn't been pushed by lawyers on the web yet. Yeah, but there, there's emerging stuff. I mean, look at this AI stuff. There's all sorts of emerging right. stuff going on. Again, we're talking, like I said, 5%. If you're... If you're a local family lawyer, local PI lawyer, local bankruptcy lawyer, this is we're not talking to you. That's the amazing thing about search because 15% of the searches are brand new every day. There's a lot of still blue ocean on the web that people aren't tapping into because everybody wants to rank for Chicago personal injury lawyer and that's where they spend all their money. I'll leave you with that. All right. When we come back, we're gonna get into the questions that we think you should be asking and are ignoring when you're talking about marketing. But first, a quick ad break. So I spent last week in Houston at the Lanier Trial Academy, and boy, oh boy, was that a lonely place to be a vendor sitting in front of a booth. The content there was unbelievably amazing, and Lanier carried the entire show for three days. I mean, it was about presentation, but he carried that for three days straight, and it was amazing. I, I really enjoyed listening on that. One of the people who did stop by was Josh Rorscheid, who stopped by and said, I love the show. I look forward to it coming out every single Wednesday. So thank you for stopping by and saying hello, and it was nice to see you. And by the way, Josh, if you would like, you can feel free to leave that review online. We'd appreciate that as well. Okay. We talked about FACUs. Now we're going to talk about racks. Questions that we wish you would ask that we never hear. Guy, hit me up. What is a question 
you wish you were asked because it would indicate that lawyers are thinking critically about what they're doing. Well, there, there's others I'm going to combine two here. Do I have access to my ads account? But I'm really going to go with, do I own my ads account and my content management system and all the other advertising accounts, or am I renting it, licensing it from you? Do you think that's an important question, Conrad? I do think it's an important question. I, I mean, we have just beaten to death some of the vendors who've gone out of their way, contorted themselves contractually, technologically, in ways to put the control into their hands instead of their clients. And this is a disgusting MBA approach to doing business where we have the power instead of the, the client. And it's really about control. Um, and I am a strong believer that if I ran a law firm, I would want to control all of the things that related to my marketing, which would include access and ownership and admin access to, I mean, let's list them off. All of your social media, all of your advertising campaigns, your website's back end, right? You want to be able to be quick in firing and getting rid of crappy vendors. Look, bottom line is your, your agreement should say you own everything that your vendor touches. It's all the accounts, all the data, everything that you do. That's just the way it has to be. I mean, I, I we, and, and the reason, here's the, here are the horror stories, right? Held hostage with Google business profiles, held hostage with websites, held hostage. The other thing too is, we kind of alluded to this, but there is so much value in the ad account itself. Like the historical performance of the ad account, you know, not everybody pays the same thing per click. A lot of people don't realize that. And if you're just renting that from somebody else, like you're giving them all the value. Now, the counterpoint that the vendor might say is, well, yeah, look, because that's because we're giving them at a reduced fee. Like we're not charging them a lot to rent. So they have an opportunity, they have access to this thing that they might not otherwise have. And that might be right for some firms, maybe. I don't know. Back to Conrad's point, you're in this for the long haul. Most of the firms that we talk to that are really making big investments into their digital presence, You'd be, in my opinion, you'd be crazy to let these agencies dictate those terms to you. And I'll push back on your on your nicety there. <laughs> um, you're getting this at a reduced fee because we have this proprietary thing, and and boy, are you lucky! Right. You can't even look at it to know what what they're spending. You have no idea, right? So you're spending with a blindfold on. We probably don't say this enough. There's enough shenanigans going on in the digital agency world that I would not trust anyone who didn't let me see where my money was being spent, right? Like, I just wouldn't. There's a reason that you can't see that, right, is what, where I'm getting at. Yeah. All right. What else? What other questions, Guy, do you wish we were asked that we never hear? Well, this is when we, we kind of get asked it in some ways, but it's like it's being asked the wrong way. But like every single time you talk to any agency or you talk to someone whether you're going to hire a marketing person as a consultant or and really vendors in other contexts too is like what does success look like let's define ah. success what does winning look like because if you don't do that everything else is what i call the cab to nowhere you hop in you're paying them some money but you don't know where you're going so what's the right answer for what success looks like well, it varies from firm to what you need, right? Different, okay. different firms have different, you know, you talk about this a lot too. Follow-up question is, is like, where do you want to go a year from now, right? Where do you want to be? Right. What's most important to you? What gaps do you have? You know, do you have a team of people who can execute and you need strategic consulting to try to do some kind of like uh, incremental gain in market position? 
Or are you brand new to this thing? And do we need to benchmark metrics in the first 90 days to even get off the ground? But having conversations about like what's six, that's the only way you're going to walk away or enter into a relationship or walk away from a relationship at the end and say, I feel like we either achieved our objectives or we didn't. And it sounds silly. Well, you got to have objectives in order to measure against them, right? But so many times we see that there are no objectives to measure. I'll bring this up. And, and it's, it's a little recent and it was a little stingy, but I'll bring it up. If for the, those of you who are sitting there, because I have had this conversation, like I'm not telling you what my business objectives are. You need to tell me what you're going to do. If you have that attitude, we recently walked away from a prospect where we were just at loggerheads. He wanted to know what we were going to do and how much it was going to cost. And we wanted to know where he wanted to go. If your mindset is such that you feel like that is revealing too much to tell a, a vendor where you want to go when you're asking them to help you get there, you need to insource everything if you just lack that trust. Otherwise, you're going to hire someone and you will always be disappointed. Oh, well, I was going to say there's one asterisk or Hit rejoinder. Me. Rejoinder. If you, want, <laughs> if you want stuff, if you want stuff, you want time and materials at cost, then you should be holding your account, your agency accountable for delivering time and materials at cost. So if you're going to be like, I want five blog posts a month, then you measure the success of the program by whether or not the agency delivers five blog posts a month. That's it. Don't start talking about performance and consultations and visibility and growth and conversion and target cost per consultation and return on investment. Just focus on what you wanted. You wanted five blog posts. You weren't going to share anything. Then get your five blog posts. Have a nice life. In the unlikely event you did not gather <laughs> Guy's perspective on that, he thinks that is stupid, as do I. All right. Well, you, what will happen is you'll do it for a while, and then you'll be like, why again am I buying these five blog posts a month? <laughs> no, but you're seeing the five blog posts. That's what you wanted. That's what you wanted. We tried to ask you what you really wanted. 60 blog posts a year, and nothing's happening. All right. I'll tell you the question that I don't know that I have ever been asked, despite the fact that you and I talk about this at least every other podcast, if not every single podcast. When it comes to SEO, how much of your effort is focused on link building and what do you do for link building? We have talked over and over and over again about links and links being the hard thing to actually make happen. It's expensive. It is not linear. It is creative. You don't always win. It's hard. No one, I don't think anyone has ever gotten into anything beyond a very surface level conversation with me about what we do when it comes to generating backlinks. And the reason this is so important has just become, it's become even more important. The technology, by and large, technology has been solved. Like some of you have garbage websites, but that's your fault. Like there's easy alternatives. Get on WordPress, get on well-coded WordPress, you solve the technology problems. Some of you had a content problem, right? Some of you don't have the content. Well, we've solved that with chat GPT and Quillbot and all that stuff. Like, so don't tell us that like the content map is not something that is cost-effectively solvable. Links, That's the remaining differentiator for SEO. And yet the level of inquiry that we get about link building is very, very superficial. I don't know if you're seeing the same thing, but that that does surprise me that we haven't had those conversations. Yeah, I I think that that's fair to say that it's in the rare bucket. I I think the reasons are obvious. One is like, unless you're a sophisticated SEO consumer, you might not even know that links are a thing, right? You know, 
most of the people we talk to are, I want to rank number one for everything. Like that's what they're focused on. Not the why, not the how, just rank there. The more sophisticated ones, yes. And, and I think, I guess I would, you had multiple questions in there, but I think the really key one is, what's your approach to link building, right? Because, you know, how much link building you're doing, that's tough. You know, it's going to vary in like what part of your business is link building, what part of the program is going to link building. You know, just like everything else, you know, you can get really good links and you fell into a layup doing some like broken link building for like a municipal site. And you might be surprised about how easy it is to get a really local relevant link. Uh, on the other hand, you might do what you think is an amazing PR or online PR campaign. It doesn't pan out, you know, for a variety of reasons. There's nothing wrong with what you did. It just didn't turn into links. And so I think it's a lot less about like the quantification of the link building, but definitely like Process. what's your approach to link building? Do you have some examples of some gr of great link building campaigns you've done in the past? Really, really important. And again, my other follow-ups to the link building thing, relevance and locality not page authority, domain authority, main publisher sites, in my humble opinion, for local businesses. All right. Last question that I wish we got asked more frequently. I'm not sure if you hit this. Do you only work with lawyers? That's a great one. Is there value? Do you think there's value? I, I mean, and this is genuine. I think there's there's two sides to this. Do you think there's value in hiring an agency that only works with lawyers? Like noting that you only work with lawyers. And maybe we so, talk about the flip side. <laughs> I do think there's value and working with an agency that has a lot of experience with law firms. I think, you know, not to go too far down the rabbit hole, experience with legal SERPs, experience with some of the nuances with legal in terms of Google business profiles and local optimization, experience with like, you know, even if you're not a, an expert on rules of professional conduct, I think having a sense of like, you know, what some of the uh, the loose rules are. And again, we talked about this too, and I, th I agree with you that lawyers should be a, a reviewing and approving everything people do on their behalf, but legal's a unique animal. Now, does that mean that all of your experiences in lawyers? I would say no. I think it's good to have some experience or at least an agency who's collaborating or looking outside of examples in legal because legal, if you just look at all the competition, it tends to be pretty stagnant. Legal is not known for its innovative marketing practices. And Fair. so that's kind of the other side of the coin. But definitely, I would say, and this is a question we should have been on our list. You know, do you have experience working with similarly situated law firms to mine? You know, do you have experience working with a, if you're a PI law firm in a major market, do you have experience working with a PI law firm in a major market? Right. That's what I think matters more than like, are all of your clients lawyers or not? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the other experience that's really important in working in legal, this is unfortunate. Do you have experience working in an underhanded, dirty, like, market? <laughs> because there's a lot of underhanded, dirty legal marketing that's go digital marketing that's going on in legal. I think you need to understand that. And it's one of those things that, like, you and I see it and we just recognize it because we live in it. I think if you if you worked in florists or puppies or something like that, you might not be exposed to the filth that lives in the legal marketing world. Fair enough. All right. Unfortunately, our time today has come to an end. And you might be new here. If you are, welcome again to the LHLM community. Secondly, we would love you to follow us on your podcast player of choice so you never miss an episode. In fact, you can probably do it right now on whatever podcast thingamabapadoohickey you're listening to right now. 
You can find LHLM on Apple, Spotify, Overcast, Pocket Cast, you name it, we're there. And while you're at it, we'd love to hear from you, whether that's leaving us a rating or review or dropping us a question in one of the comment sections on our various social media identities. We do think it's so, so important to hear directly from you, answer your questions, and get you involved in our podcast creation process. And for those regular listeners, as always, thanks again for this episode of Lunch Hour and Legal Marketing. Guillen Codred saying farewell. Thank you for listening to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. If you'd like more information about what you heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Follow Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the Unbillable Hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.